Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Clergy Suite. I'm Rabbi Dara Frimmer, and sitting here at my table is Rabbi Zoe Klein-Miles. Hello. Hey, Zoe. So we have some big news in the upstairs office, which is... Yeah, I didn't have to walk very far to get to the clergy suite for this podcast. That is correct. That is correct. For the first time in two and a half years, Zoe Klein-Miles is back upstairs in the great rotation of offices that has been uh, true to your identity, actually, for quite some time now. This is my fourth office at Temple Isaiah. So I had one office as the assistant rabbi for... Just about seven years, Mm -hmm. one office as the senior and then downstairs as the interim religious school director. And now I'm really excited to be getting settled into my new office as, uh, you know, overseeing adult education and engagement. We're very excited to have you back. Uh, And part of what we notice and I think historically in literature also has been noticed is there is an upstairs downstairs uh, Downton Abbey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> synagogue um, version. <laughs> the synagogue version, not based on class. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> just kidding. But, but really just based on culture and the jokes and the rhythm and the energy of the upstairs office is different than the downstairs offices. Um, there's a whole education suite that starts with Tamar's office on one side with the preschool and extends all the way to the wall with Lisa and Carla now. Uh, and that's the part you were in. I just, I can't say how grateful, I, I can't express enough how grateful I am to have had that opportunity to live in the downstairs suite, you know, and to really immerse into that other culture. And uh, I'm so excited to see how that two year, two and a half year experience begins to integrate into, you know, all the work that we're doing together to break down silos and, you know, bring our whole community uh, together. I think that is so great. It reminds me, I went to undergrad at Stanford and there was one house, there was a whole fraternity row at one point at Stanford and then they got rid of most of the fraternities and turned them over to theme houses. And there was one house in particular where if you drew into that house, you agreed to change your room every quarter. So three times over the course of a calendar year, you would have to live in a room, pack it up, and then move again. Live in the room, pack it up, and move again. And then you would ostensibly be kicked out of the house and have to go find I wonder what elsewhere. the long-term study of those people is you know, in it's, terms of how often they you know, redecorate their homes. And <laughs> I, That's true. I don't think anyone has ever done the, the longitudinal study. But I do believe there is a spiritual practice in learning how to live somewhere, plant roots, and then uproot without feeling so lost in your identity that you can't find yourself again as you plant your roots in a new space. It, and, it's adaptability. Mm-hmm. And actually, there's a whole section in the Torah that the rabbis are arguing whether or not the tabernacle, uh, whether the stakes went deep into the ground or whether they sat on top of the ground. So, Ooh. And it's really a conversation about, um, you know, when you set up camp, how permanent do you make the camp that you set up? And it's oh not God. just physically, not just moving offices or dorm rooms or, you know, homes, but it's also as life takes us through, you know, ups and downs, how do we, how do we, how do our values travel with us? Mm. This is my favorite Torah of the day. (laughs) It's early, so there might be more Torah. There are more bar mitzvah students to see this afternoon, but this is really good Torah. And just to be clear, the tabernacle, a very fancy word, is also known as the tent of meeting, also known as the mishkan. I often, I don't know how you refer to it with students, but I often say it's like a giant REI pop-up tent, Ah, which was our our first sanctuary in the (laughs) desert as we wandered. So yeah, can you imagine now stakes deep in the ground as if a big windstorm is coming and you have to secure or um, just resting uh, right. like those pop-up tents we have now in West LA. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> friends are coming over. Put up the pop-up tents. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, well, welcome back to the upstairs office. And today I want to talk about 
a conversation uh, that I had with a preschool religious school family uh, recently over um, some art projects that our kids were doing. And mm-hmm. as we were assembling menorahs, Hanukkiahs more specifically, the mom and I were talking about the tooth fairy. And uh, the student who was in question was at early elementary school. And so um, she is mentioned... It, should we meant, is there a spoiler alert? Should we do a oh, warning? That's right. <laughs> if you are listening with your children yes. right now and the tooth fairy is of great value and importance to your family, turn down the volume <laughs> Just for a little or bit. put on pause because what we're about to say is uh, going to debunk that myth. <laughs> So she's saying in front of her child, you know, he just lost a tooth and the tooth fairy came Mm. and she says to him, what did you get from the tooth fairy? And first he does the most amazing eye roll that I've seen in a while. (laughs) And then we laugh and it turned out they got the fourth book of the Harry Potter and like uh, illustrated series. Wow. And the mom says, you know, but the problem, we've read the first three and they've been great. The problem with the fourth book is, and then she looks at me, you know, and I said, it gets dark. Oh, yeah. I think that's the one where in the battle, a student dies fairly early on in the book, if I remember. It's been a while since I read them. But the idea that um, that is a very heavy, dark, complicated topic. And is she ready to talk about it? Is her son ready to talk about it? And um, I realized that might be really good for us to talk about, mm. which is um, in your experience, 20 years now of working at Isaiah, you have three of your own children of different ages that you are raising. Um, how have you learned to introduce complicated, dark, heavy topics to children and to families so that it doesn't feel um, so intimidating or so burdensome that we actually avoid rather mm. than engage? Well, the interesting thing, so I just want to say something, J.K. Rowling, uh, she, what one of the things that was so brilliant about the series is she was writing it, she knew that her fans were aging as she was writing it. So by the time the, the kids that she wrote for who were reading, who read Harry Potter book one, by the time the fourth book came out, she knew that they had grown. And so wow. her storytelling had to evolve to keep, you know, interest at, you know, at the different stages. Our lives are going to pass through lights and shadows. And um, that doesn't start at a certain age. That's actually at all ages. You know, sometimes we have a lucky period, um, but the wheel turns. Mm -hmm. And um, I think there's a saying that rather than be surprised that the rose bush has thorns, we should be surprised that the thorn bush has roses. Oh, that's beautiful. And uh, ideally, we talk about death and uh, you know, the possibility of failure, rejection, integrated before something happens. Mm-hmm. So the hardest thing is when someone dies and none of those conversations have taken place. Mm-hmm. So actually one of the nicest ways to introduce it is through literature mm. because then you're working with characters. It's a different kind of emotional connection. And um, another way to integrate it is through uh, walking um, or, you know, anything with nature. The naturist John Muir used to say that uh, if you take children on a walk, they're introduced to life and death, the oh blendings gosh. of life and death already. That's so true. Fallen Actually, leaves. Yeah. Yeah. A dead ladybugs. Dead ladybugs. That was a big topic of conversation in our house yesterday. And it's natural. Mm-hmm. Right. And non-threatening mm-hmm. and um, non-anxiety provoking. Right. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite books is really The Velveteen Rabbit because The Velveteen Rabbit, it's about stuffed animals uh, and their life cycle. So it's a little gentler than a person dying. Mm-hmm. Um, but you really do fall in love with the Velveteen Rabbit. And at some point, you know, he, he it, it's explained to him by the rocking horse that um, as you if you're loved a lot, 
you know, that's when your your fur gets rubbed down and your eyes maybe um, fall out. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. you're just snuggled so much that you fall apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the end of The Velveteen Rabbit, uh, you pass from being a toy to becoming real. And the real world is is the after death. You know, that that's the, the real life of the soul. And it's a really interesting but children, actually, what's interesting, if you ask children what they think happens after we die, they innately have a whole theology. Yes, that's right. But they can teach us. That's right. That's right. And we think that they may not be thinking about it or they may not know it, but ask them a few questions. And you're right. It opens up um, imagination. It opens up creativity. Uh, yeah, we, I mean, we have parents often asking, "Can they bring their seven-year-old, their six-year-old their, to the funeral?" To the funeral, right? What do you say? So you know, each family's. I want. I want to put trust into the individual parent who mm-hmm. knows their children the best. Um, and children usually have less of a hard time at funerals than parents suspect. They're. It's good to see your parents crying mm-hmm. at a death mm-hmm. because that's real life, and. Oftentimes, children will have a relationship with their grandparent after they died. They'll say, I had a dream, or grandpa came to me, or grandpa was whispering to me from the trees. They have a whole relationship, and we kind of cut that relationship off if we don't allow them into the process. That's right. I think sometimes I, when I counsel families, they're so worried about what they believe will be a, a, a destabilizing, emotionally fraught moment for yeah. their children that the child won't recover from and that it's too much. They're too young. It's why expose them? And so they sanitize death and the person is there and then they're not there and you cry on your own and maybe you don't even let them come to things like a shiva. Um, but rather that um, the full spectrum of human emotion is joy and sadness. It's heartbreak and um, gratitude. Um, So I almost always say, bring, absolutely, Mm. bring your child to the funeral. Talk to them about it ahead of time. Remind them that there will be stories shared and there may be some laughter and some tears. And the most important thing I can offer is just have a person that is okay, like taking them out if it Mm. is too much. Because Sure, they may get upset or they may just get bored because they're a kid. Right. (laughs) And so the person who needs to extract them can then walk around outside in a beautiful, usually a beautiful cemetery environment. Um, And that's really the most important thing to consider, not will my child be able to handle it. I went to a funeral uh, a few months ago and at the graveside as the casket was being lowered, there was a little girl and she said something to, uh, you know, uh, her aunt They were standing behind me. And I turned around and I said, what is it that you said? Because I want to be sure that I got it right. And she said, it looks like a treasure chest. Wow. And so she saw the casket being lowered and she thought of buried treasure. Mm. Now, that's a metaphor I would never have thought to teach a child that came from her organically. And it was such a perfect way to conceptualize what this is, that mm-hmm. our lives are treasures and tr- and this is a buried treasure. Um, how how beautiful that is. Truly. In all literature, even, I mean, you could even take Goodnight Moon and say, you know, Goodnight Nobody, Goodnight Mush is about loss. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, the mush is getting cold. The room is getting dark. Grandma's going to, you know, stop knitting, yeah. <laughs> leave the room. And, you know, so there there is no literature art that is without shadows and loss. And so they're already um, slowly being introduced to it. So maybe as adults, our our work, if you will, is that we need to get more comfortable 
with the conversations for ourselves. Yeah, I think that's right. And we need to be able to to play with and maybe get it wrong the first time, um, what it's like to talk about it with our kids at different ages, um, to notice things. Um, I think about how um, we have talked in our family about my father died many years ago, and there's a picture of him, and we've tried to introduce the girls from a very early age about Zadie Mm -hmm. Dan, and Zadie Dan died, and that was Grandma Debbie's husband and my father, Uh, and now it feels like they talk about it, and sometimes they'll just say out of nowhere, you know, our Zadie Dan died, (laughs) you know, and you can see other adults sort of stop and be like, oh, but for them, it's non-alarmist. And I have to believe part of it is the regularity by which we refer to it as this is just how we talk about members of our family, some of who are here, and others we look at pictures of and we talk about what they would have said or what they would have liked. And perhaps some of it is also, and I think about this being rabbis, um, the other night when I went to a Shiva minion and the girl said, where are you going? I reminded them, I'm going to a Shiva minion. It's what we do after someone dies. And people will be sad, but they'll share stories. And that's what we do. We get together. Mm -hmm. And so they're building a vocabulary without anxiety around how we remember. It's so interesting to think of the, uh, I always think of Shiva as about helping the mourners and reminding them that there's community. But you you gave me this new idea that Shiva is also about uh, integrating the idea of death and loss and taking away the panic for the community, too, for the children. Um, You know, I think growing up as rabbis' children, our children had a different experience. I used to think about that movie, The Wedding Crashers, and I used to call my kids the Shiva Crashers because (laughs) they would accompany me on so many Shiva calls. And, you know, I remember once they came with me to a Shiva call and there was a room filled with kids and um, I knocked on the door of that room to see if my kids were in there and a child opened the door and said, no one over 20 allowed. And so there's a whole other subculture of Shiva Yes, what they do. You know, it's like they learn that at synagogue, though, because right. back in the 80s, you'd hide in the coat closet. Oh, right. What's a coat closet? Right. Yeah. I mean, not in California, but right. in New Jersey, you had a lot of heavy coats. Um, so I, again, I, I, you're right. We should, we should name the fact uh, we are rabbis. And so in some ways, um, it is easier for us to bring up death. But I still want to encourage anyone who's listening Um, not to feel like you have to be perfect the first time you want to talk about a complicated theme, whether it's death or loss or divorce or um, failure. You said earlier, Zoe, that that this is part of who we are as humans. And if we show that there is a place for it and you still get to be considered lovable and embraceable, um, that you don't get kicked out of the family or the community or the tribe because of it, that maybe we allow for um, acceptance of it. I think that's I think that's beautiful. And I think that children learning, you know, think about all the things they're going to face being rejected from a few of their college, you know, they're gonna apply to college, they're not gonna might not get into every college they apply to, or, you know, the first time they're in a relationship, or they ask someone out on a date, and that person says no, or they order something online, and it's not available, you know, someone else got the last one. But, you know, we all face these things. And um, it contributes to our uh, stamina, our personality, our empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, it All of these things make us better. But if we're always shocked, when things don't go our way, then we're not really engaging in the in the artistry of life. You know, we're not, we're not, training our kids to be adept at uh, moving through all the the shadows and and light. That's great. So I would say just as takeaways first, and Zoe, you come from an artist's family and you yourself are an artist. I think I really want to lift up the shadow and the light that is part of every every piece of art, every piece of literature, every piece of our world and see if this week after listening to this 
episode, you can begin to notice shadow and light in your own lives. Um, I think, too, you made a great book recommendation for those who are struggling with how to introduce literature to their kids at the right age or if they've already been introduced. Remember Velveteen Rabbit? And I remember, Zoe, you introduced me years ago to um, Freddie and the Fallen Leaf. Yeah, Freddie the the Fallen Leaf. Freddie the Fallen Leaf, which is another beautiful story about nature teaching us about cycles and about death. And it's about, right, it's about the last leaf, uh, you know, before it falls from the tree Mm -hmm. and all of its thoughts and... It, and at the very end, it realizes that for the first time as it falls, that it had been part of this tree. It couldn't see the tree before that moment. It's really very beautiful. That's right. A good story for children and for adults. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say just the third is um, to be willing to practice hard conversations. Because what I think is right on the other side of usually most of our hard conversations is a recognition similar to the leaf realizing they're part of a tree oh, is actually not that hard. Like I can see the bigger picture now, which is mm. I was having a lot of concerns as an adult, <laughs> but my child, my family, actually we could all integrate that new piece of information around someone who's sick or failure or loss or grief. Uh, and in, a, in a way, it's a great equalizer because it's, if you come to your child with that attitude and say, you know, this is something that humans have been wrestling with for all time. And so let's together talk about where grandma might be or you know how how we go through these valleys that's right that's right um so we are always here as clergy uh, as is our full senior staff who engage with these questions of meaning and purpose and identity um both during times of joy and times of sadness um so we really encourage you if you're listening and you have more questions to reach out to us but for now thank you zoe for this incredible conversation and we will look forward to seeing all of you very soon at your home at the intersection oh. of tradition and innovation. And innovation. <laughs> Thanks, everyone.